So the family's all packed. The passports are in hand. And my feet are ready to get numb for the next 16 hours. But was I ready for this? Welcome to Hong Kong Easy L. Scene one, Apple, take one. You're listening to Hong King. Scene one, Apple, take two. Welcome to Hong Kong ESL. So there I was at LAX airport. By then, my wife was already in Hong Kong. I had stayed because I took a few extra classes just to be able to accelerate the process of getting a teaching job at one of the schools or one of the tutorial centers. As we were standing there, there was quite a long line, and there was a gentleman who was looking at us. I was with my now stepdaughter at the time. She had just turned four, and... I wasn't even gazing towards the service desk because I didn't want to insinuate at all that I was in a rush, when actually I kind of was. And within about a minute, one of the gentlemen there looked at me, came up to me, talked to my daughter in Chinese at first. At the time, she understood Cantonese, a little bit of English, and then looked at us, took our information, shook my hand, took my bags, got me checked in, and handed me a $100 duty-free voucher for the trouble. So was this a sign? A sign of good things to come? It made me reflect on the notion of not expressing impatience, especially when others are collectively. So we're going up the escalator and getting checked in, going through immigration, having to do the extensive screening. My first time in a long time, because I had not traveled outside of the U.S. in a long time. And any flight longer than four hours was not since 2002 when I went to Japan to visit my ex-girlfriend. There I was, in a state of mind of excitement, but also of worry. Not because of the flight itself, although that was part of it, but we were slated for two years. How was the adjustment not going to just be for myself, but for my stepdaughter? And how was everything going to be in general when it came to communicating? Even though Hong Kong people speak English as a second language, but what did I need to adjust? Not simply to fit in, but to show courtesy that, in fact, I am here in your turf and I want to be respectful. So I'm going to flash back just a little bit, not too far back before that flight, because I want to place you in my mindset just temporarily how... I believe strongly that outside of the U.S., or I should say outside of Los Angeles and Orange County, I didn't know or even consider venturing off to discover more, whether it be to build a new business or whether it be to just start off fresh. And and I know that the dream was always there, but my state of mind was of comfort with routine, so comfortable that I didn't imagine what could be out there outside of that in terms of friendships, business friendships, networking with people from all over the world. I thought that everything that was necessary that would make me comfortable for the remainder of my life, outside of having a girlfriend, of course, would be simply 
just what I've been used to for the 20 years before that. So it was that routine and how it was so normal for me that made me a bit fearful. Here's the change coming. Here's the evolution that's going to take place. Was I resisting it a little bit enough so to not want to take that full step, more gradual baby steps back on that flight, out of customs, I'm there with my daughter. And as I look around, I'm wondering how much longer will it be until I come back to this place? When will I have my next visit? We weren't sure if we were going to come back that Christmas or perhaps her company. Something can possibly come up and alter the plan. So what was going to happen? What was the last thing I was going to see on U.S. soil? And there we were. So as we got into the flight, everything began to settle in. This is it. I'm not going to make a fuss. There's no turning back now. We're on that flight and we're going. And I thought to myself, okay, this is probably most likely going to be one adventure that I'll never forget. And little did I know it's going to be much, much longer than two years. So I arrived at about 5 a.m. And the first thing that my then girlfriend, I'll just refer to her as my wife now, took me to was a McDonald's. It was right upstairs from a service apartment. And mind you, a service apartment is simply like going into a furnished apartment. There's everything there that you need, even a mini kitchen. But the space was so incredibly small, I had no idea if this is large in comparison to some of the other spaces, or if this is much smaller than a lot of the spaces that we would eventually be looking at to live in for the next two years. So the first thing I got to do was compare. And it wasn't too far off from Japan in terms of busyness. Also in terms of things being expedited, names being called out, numbers being called out, and people lining up and moving fast and sometimes appearing impatient. So what I did is I I took that initial impression and it ran with me in a bad way. This is how I was thinking of Hong Kong in general. How can I adjust? How can I at least pretend that it doesn't bother me? Would this be a test? And and especially if I'm going to be a teacher out there, how can I exemplify that I am not showcasing entitlement or I am on the borderline of being disrespectful to the culture for expressing displeasure in more ways than one? So if on the surface, the first thing that popped out at me was the bustling busyness, the second thing would have been the space. Because quite simply, people make those moves and sometimes appear as if they're in your pathway or cutting in front of you. In the little space that is available, they want to have it and perhaps they think they're entitled to it. Having grown up in California, you get used to the large space. You get used to a 7-Eleven that's as big as a rather sizable house in the U.S. But in Hong Kong, they're the size of a walk-in closet. And this is why space is so precious that people, and I'm a big guy and I was even bigger then, that people will step on your feet and that people may inadvertently cut in front of you or at times even are up against you too close in the line where you feel so uncomfortable. And this was me. I was being so incredibly expressive with my frustration that it was very apparent and many people couldn't help but notice it. But over time, things began to gel in my mind. 
This is me on their turf. Why should they adjust for me? It would be like they're coming to my country and all of a sudden they have to start tipping. And I say have to because if you don't, oftentimes you get that look of utter disrespect. Now on the flip side of that, I tried tipping within the first couple of weeks and at one point there was a lady who didn't want to accept it. And she was very expressive, shook her hands in all directions, didn't want to take the seven Hong Kong dollars that I was going to give her, which is about one US dollar. Imagine a Hong Kong person coming to the US and having to tip. Is it going to be something that perhaps also makes them frustrated to have to do it not just a few times, but every time they go somewhere, even if it's self-serve where they get some coffee and there's a tipping jar right there in front of them? So my frustration, it was so hard to keep it in check. And as I mentioned before in the last podcast, my wife had to keep me in check. There was times where she would point out how I would look, the body language that would suggest more than just frustration, it would suggest complete discomfort. Or how that person who is a reasonable distance away from me, I thought wasn't, and I made a big deal about it. So collectively, these things were piling up. And I couldn't help but think that it was going to continue to pile up. It would be so overwhelming that I wouldn't be able to just function at a job or at home or even on a simple walk downstairs into the lobby outdoors just to pick up something to eat. So you often hear the word cultural shock. Shock is such a strong word. But when you come out to a different country, the first thing that hits you is the weather. The humidity was so extreme and so overpowering that immediately when I stepped out of that plane and my glasses fogged up and I just knew that, okay, this is something I'm going to have to get used to. So I kept thinking these things are going to pile up and how often would they bother me? Would it be more and more over time or would it lessen? Would I get used to it? Would I acclimatize or would I eventually just be desensitized to it? The problem with that mindset is that anticipating something that causes you discomfort, where you come across as the entitled person. And the last thing that I wanted to do is act like the entitled white guy, demanding more space just because I'm a big guy. I can still maneuver in these small spaces. I could have made the extra effort to kneel down or do something to make someone else's pathway more comfortable. But my thought was thinking about having lived in a culture and in an environment where I had more than enough space, where I can stretch my arms out, no problem, in a chair, in a Hong Kong cubicle, let's say in a service office, most likely you won't even be able to put your arms completely outstretched because there simply just isn't enough room. So as I was thinking of these things as they were piling up, Months went by, and my interactions with people became more flowing. I was starting to see and pick up on the cues of how people were adjusting to me being a foreigner. And this was quite simply speaking volumes with their respect level towards foreigners. Now, the next episode, I'm going to discuss my first job as a teacher, but I will preface with this. Walking into a classroom, you see something that you're not used to. You see people of a different culture. 
and they're looking at you wide-eyed and you wonder, am I going to show in my face that I'm irritated? This is their turf. I'm not going to go even anywhere near that so that they can understand that at least I am trying to do my best under the circumstances. Something that puts my mind at ease and therefore puts their minds at ease. So I want to talk about how there is a level of comfort in Hong Kong people. The level of comfort that they have when they're commuting to school or to work is that personal space that they have. You can almost see the shell that they've built. And it's not this antisocial shell, but what it is is they have this this small space where they're reading, they're looking at movies on their phone, they're listening to music, and they're able to tune out everything around them. So did this seem very selfish to me at first? It did. And in some cases, it still does. This is what they really needed and truly yearned for during that short period of time that they have going to work and from work. So that space that they built in that little bubble, on the surface, from the outside looking in, me, the foreigner, I see it as self-centered, as selfish, and completely tuned out to anyone around, even if it means somebody is asking for something or mentioning that they may have dropped something. People are tuned out. And not just when they have their headphones. So that bubble that I referred to is the space that they need. But it's also the space that they wish they had when they come home. And mind you, a lot of Hong Kong people don't have their own rooms. Sometimes they have to share an entire studio. And it's much smaller than the standard studios that there would be in Southern California. And if it was that space that they had, let's say in the office, even though their office is small, it's 10 times bigger perhaps in their mind than the space they have at home. I didn't take this into account until much later. This started to explain to me quite simply why it was, and still is in some ways, that Hong Kong people desire that. Because this is their downtime. They work quite hard and long hours, and sometimes hours even after closing time. There's hours on their phones answering emails and even on weekends. This was something that I just couldn't understand. So for more reason, I was able to grasp this concept of why that space was so precious and why it was something that was seemingly antisocial. But it wasn't. It was just a yearning for private time, as we all need at one time or another, knowing that they're going to go home and not have that same peace of mind. It would have been foolish for me to continue on without outlook or to see the culture as one-dimensional. But on the surface, wouldn't every culture seem somewhat one-dimensional until we get to know that culture and those people, and especially those individual personalities, especially with children? So there's a few funny things that was the total white guy thing to do. And I thought I'd mention it because... Sometimes we take things for granted, or maybe not even so much for granted. It's the norm. I talked about routine and comfort. And once we step outside of that, or someone takes even a portion of that routine away, we feel completely outside of our normal shell. So when I came out and had a few meals, 
I thought the norm was just like in America with refill drinks, and it wasn't. So my wife didn't say anything. Perhaps she thought so as well. But when the bill came, they charged for each individual drink, and I must have had about five of them. So that's one thing I learned very early on, that refills are simply not the norm. Condiment bars and any kind of self-serve station, whether in a restaurant or elsewhere, just didn't exist. And this is something that I had to get used to. Another thing that was truly the total white guy blunder was in my direct communication with the locals. And I adjusted my pace a little bit because Hong Kong people speak English actually quite well. So it wasn't the pace, but it was contractions. And using contractions was muddling up the communication. So it took me a while to figure out, well, wait a minute. I can't say won't. I can't say can't. And I can't say shouldn't. I have to expand it. And this was absolutely vital in making sure that things get across very clearly. And also making sure in when they communicate to me that the instructions are clear and that my acknowledgement is contraction-free so that they understand that I understand. So I made a decision to add the just one more thing to this podcast. And for today, I mentioned patience with others in the previous podcast. In this podcast, I also mentioned those very broad gestures that I made, expressing displeasure very widely, very openly, and without subtlety. And I would say in that first year, I had to hold myself back from blurting out, correcting someone, telling someone else that was too close in line with another, someone who perhaps opened the door, not realizing that if they open it too hard, the person coming in is going to get hurt. Things like that that made me think more carefully about how to handle the way I address issues. I would wince at people in line. They're too close for comfort. Or you know when you go shopping and there's that space in front of you just before you get to the checkout, that space creates an aisle for others to walk through and to enter adjacent aisles. That doesn't exist in Hong Kong. So I would make an example and step a few feet back. But then someone would get in front of me and my wife pointed out that if you do that here, they're just going to take your space and you snooze, you lose. Also, people in Hong Kong sit on the aisle seat on the buses. And I think in their mind, they're thinking that most likely I'm going to get off first before this person. But at first, I didn't think that way. I just thought this person doesn't want to move or perhaps this person wants that quick exit and wants to be the one to leave first. But now I understand because there are sometimes moments when drivers only have a very short window of time to open that door for passengers to get off and come in just to make their bus schedule and their routines regular. So the point is, is that sometimes things on the surface to us, people, their actions, it may look beyond foreign to us. We may think that common courtesy is out the door, but when really this is their turf, this is their precious territory, and we are the ones that need to adjust. When I think of the flip side in the U.S., where, sure, courtesy and manners are relatively rampant, but also road rage is at a point where 82% of drivers in the U.S. admit to having some sort 
a road rage on some level. But in Hong Kong, I've observed, even though I don't drive, that drivers make their way to their destination without a fuss, for the most part. And I've been in taxis, so I'm aware and seen the interactions with other drivers. I haven't seen hands or fists shake in frustration. I haven't seen anyone scream out to the next driver, at least not yet, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So this was a fun trip down memory lane. And when I think about those times where we were just in the preparation phase to move to Hong Kong, the mindset gets slightly skewed because you're anticipating the events, anticipating perhaps that something may not go your way, you're outside of your element, literally, and that the cultural shock will be something that puts you in a perpetual state of unease or just feeling completely irritable. But that mindset eventually begins to realize things that it makes it so beautiful. Hong Kong is a great place. I'm so lucky to be able to pay only $35 for a phone plan, to not have to pay tax, to not have to tip, even though I still kind of tip here and there. And these are just a few examples of some of the things that truly make it a unique and enjoyable place to live. And I can't wait to see what adventure I get into next. So a fun trip indeed down memory lane. Thanks for listening. I hope that everyone has a great day and keep the education alive. Goodbye, Lawrence. Hello, family.